three. Everyday people doing everything, everyday things to know Jesus and make him known. I love it. Well, I want to take the opportunity to dismiss the kids first. And if you're a guest or visitor, I just want to welcome you. I'm so glad that you're here. And uh, if you would take a moment to fill out the brown card in the back, fill that thing out, put it in the black basket, we will give you a brand new covenant mug. I know a lot of you are asking me, how can I get one? Well, talk to me afterwards. We'll get you one. We want to give that as a token of our appreciation uh, to how... Um, of you being here this morning. Uh, well, I'm super excited to be kicking off a new series called Happy Church here at Covenant. And uh, we're, ba- we're basing this series off of a book called Happy Church by a pastor in Georgia named Tim McConnell. Now, some of you are thinking a couple things. You know, there's all sorts of books about church. There's organic church, there's deep church, there's the discipling church, centered church, the gospel-centered church, missional church, church 2.0. Why are we doing a series called happy church. Well, it's kind of a funny story, right? So many of you know I like to think deeply. I like to research and write. I'm going to go get my doctorate next year, so I have to be able to think uh, pretty deeply. But, in, but honestly, in some uh, cases, in some episodes, I can also be very shallow. Uh, some of you men know what I'm talking about. So about a month or so ago, I was cruising, cruising through my uh, Facebook feed, listening to the Rolling Stones as I usually do on a Saturday afternoon. And I saw the book Happy Church advertised on my Facebook feed. And I would have ignored it. I always get these publishers' advertisements. I probably would have ignored it. However, the publisher was advertising the book with a picture of a happy Yorkie puppy. And I just had to click on the link. And I was very pleased with what I found. So pleased that we decided to do a sermon series based on what I found. So I did judge a book by its cover, essentially. But it worked out in the end. And before I talk about what this series is all about, let me tell you what it isn't about. This isn't a series that'll tell you to put away all of your problems and ignore them and put a smile on your face. This isn't a series that ignores the fact that people can and do go through hard times, especially in the Christian life. And this isn't a series where we're going to tell you to change your personality. What we want to do through this series is recover this idea that God wants you to be happy. And even when I say that, I feel a little wrong. I feel a little selfish. But when you look at Scripture, you see that this is true. Because God knows that apart from a personal relationship with Him through Christ, true happiness is impossible. I believe that God wants us as a church to be happy in Him because we have every reason to be happy. But unfortunately, when a lot of folks think about church, they usually don't think happy. Maybe church was a really sad affair. Maybe that you had friends in the church who burned emotionally. Maybe there were those who judged you for who you were. Or maybe you're angry because of the way the church ignored your hurts. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're one of those people. I'm sorry. Because the church is supposed to be the one place where people can find true happiness. Our mission here at Covenant Church is brutally simple. It's to know Jesus and to make him known. And it didn't occur to me until probably a few weeks ago that happiness is written in between the lines of our mission statement. When we come to know Jesus, we're filled with deep joy and deep gladness. 
when you become a follower of Christ, you're injected with an extra strength dose of happiness because you know that Jesus has died for you. He's given you eternal life and you're free from the oppression of sin and darkness and despair. And even when you go through tough times, you know in your heart that God is walking with you through it and everything will be okay. Knowing Jesus is the source of your happiness. And when this deep happiness takes over your life, you can't help but tell others about it too. You can't help but love others, serve others, and show them the love that Jesus has shown you. It's that happiness that comes from knowing Christ that enables you to bear witness to others about how good and how glorious Jesus Christ truly is. And that leads others to search for the source of true happiness, which is Christ himself. So God wants you to be happy. But happiness, true happiness, comes only from knowing him and following him. So what I want to do this morning is talk a little bit about happiness. I really want to lay the foundation for our study these next eight weeks. So will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look through your word, as we survey all that you've told us, that you'll open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the different things that you want us to learn, the different things that you want us to practice today, Lord. For it's in your Son's most holy name we pray. Amen. When most folks think about happiness, their mind often runs to a few different things. There is financial security, which does provide some comfort to people because when you don't have to worry about money, you're doing pretty well. And there's relational security. I have my wife, I have my kids, they love me, I love them, they make me happy. And then there's job satisfaction too. When you're happy at your job, that happiness transfers over into all other areas of your life. And when you turn on your TV, you see these different voices saying to you that you need to have a certain amount of money or have a certain product in order to be happy. You know all the commercials. If I get my new Lincoln MKX, I'll be as cool and as deep and as philosophical as Matthew McConaughey. If I get my new Nespresso maker, I'll be suave like George Clooney and be friends with Danny DeVito. If I drink my Sprite... I'll have obeyed my thirst like LeBron James. You see this stuff all the time. But beneath the surface, there is an even darker truth at play that every single person recognizes. It's that very few things in this world can make us truly happy. And material goods, those possessions, aren't on that list When you press people about what makes them happy, most people wouldn't say it's their possessions. They'd probably say something like, well, it's my family, it's my sense of direction, it's my job, it's my accomplishments. But the statistics show that most people believe that happiness comes from immaterial things, the intangible things, not the material things. We can try and make ourselves happy by attaining more stuff, but it's not quite going to get us there. Even Don Draper from Mad Men, he has a lot to say about happiness. In the very first episode of the show, he says this, You know what happiness is? Happiness is the smell of a new car. It's freedom from fear. 
It's a billboard on the side of the road that screams reassurance that whatever you are doing is okay. You are Your family, your money, your job, they all give you the sense of security. They tell you that you are okay. And as long as you have those things, you are happy. But a few seasons later, Don gets a little cynical. And he says this, but what is happiness? It's a moment before you need more happiness. Even David Lee Roth, the great poet, the front man of Van Halen, recognized this truth when he said that money can't buy you happiness, but it can buy you a yacht big enough to pull up right alongside it. And then you go back to scripture, you go back to God's word, and God's like, well, duh. You read a passage like Ecclesiastes 5.10. It says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loses wealth is never satisfied with, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. It's pointless. So we hear all these messages from our culture that happiness is attainable with the right formula of relationships and wealth and success. But deep down, we know that none of this will ever fully satisfy us. Now the question becomes, well, what can't make us truly happy? And the answer, as we all know, is Jesus. No Christian would disagree with that. If they did, we'd have some big problems But I think some of us can't and do find it a little jarring when we say that God wants us to be happy. That's because as Christians, we're people of the cross. The cross is where Jesus died in our place. It's the ancient equivalent of the electric chair. It's sad. It causes us to think about not only how evil we are, how much our sin continues to keep us away from God. And yes, we have the joy of the resurrection like we celebrated two weeks ago. But every week, we celebrate the death of Christ. And you juxtapose that death imagery you see in Scripture and the evil that you see in this world today with this idea that God wants you to be happy, it doesn't make any sense at all. It just doesn't. But what I didn't recognize is that when you look all throughout Scripture, you see the theme of happiness woven all throughout. Now, some of you might be thinking, You know, Ben, I can understand that joy is a theme in Scripture. I could see that gladness would be a theme in Scripture. But happiness, that seems kind of superficial. I don't really see that in Scripture. I'll say that joy and gladness are both internal states of being. But happiness is both internal and external. It's internal reality made evident in external expression. You can't really separate what's going on in your heart with what you express with your language and with your body. It's like Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can't be angry and grit your teeth and say, I got the joy of the Lord right here. It just doesn't work that way. And you might be thinking, well, Ben, okay, wouldn't blessed be a better term to use? After all, God is the one who bestows happiness. And I say that's true. Absolutely it is. However, as you look all throughout Scripture in the original Hebrew and in the original Greek, and I had no idea about this, but blessed and happy are the same word. And when you make that shift in your mind, it completely changes the way that you view happiness. So here's some of what the Bible says. You look at Genesis 30, 13, when Leah Leah is overjoyed at the birth of her son through Jacob. 
It says this, Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher, which means happy. And that word Asher is used all throughout the Old Testament to describe people who love God, who follow God, who serve him, who fear him, who proclaim him. They're Asher. They're happy. But what's fascinating is that if you do a word study on this word Asher, you'll see that the root of the word actually means setting right. And the secondary meaning is actually happy. Now, Hebrew can be kind of a funny language. It has many layers. It's very complex. But I don't think it's a coincidence that getting right or setting right and blessed and happy are synonymous. Take a moment to think about how you feel when you feel blessed. You feel happy. There's a deep connection there. And when you go on Facebook and you use the hashtag blessed, you're expressing a positive feeling that all is right in the world. Now, we're going to come back to this idea, so keep it in the back of your brain. You fast forward from Genesis to the Psalms. You see this happen a lot. The Psalms are a tome of emotions. You've got sadness and despair and grief, but you also have abundant happiness. In fact, if you look at Psalm 1, you'll see what I'm talking about. Blessed, you can read happy if you want, is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on this day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. I'd venture to take a guess that most of your translations would say, blessed when in fact it really more accurately should be read as happy. Now in those couple of verses, you see that happiness is written all over it. That person is happy because he or she delights in the law of God. They're situated by streams of water. They bear good fruit, and whatever they do prospers. That sounds like a pretty happy person to me. You skip ahead to Psalm 128. It says, blessed or happy are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Again, you can see there that happiness is directly related to our relationship with God, really how right we are with him. And as a result, blessings and prosperity come. But the source of all of that is the vital relationship with God through Christ. And as you survey the Psalms, you'll see that nearly 35 of the 150 total Psalms are Asher Psalms. They're about happiness and the themes of obedience to God, love for God, love for his word and his ways are all related to blessedness or happiness. Before I skip forward to the New Testament, I want to look at a passage from the book of Proverbs I'm going to read it in a different translation because I think it better captures what the author is going for here. It says, Happy are those who find wisdom and those who gain understanding. Her profit is better than silver. Her gain is better than gold. Her value exceeds pearls. All you desire can't compare with her. In her right hand is a long life. In her left are wealth and honor. Her ways are pleasant. All her paths are peaceful. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who hold her wisdom tight are happy. The passage begins and ends with happiness. And it's related to wisdom. 
that is greater than all the stuff that we generally think bring us happiness. So whenever you read the word blessed, chances are it really should be read as happy. And I guarantee you, it's going to transform the way you understand what it means to be blessed and what it means to be truly happy. And you skip ahead to the New Testament, and it doesn't stop. In fact, the Greek term picks up this theme, of, and it uses the word makarios, which means happy. Now, even this is a little more jarring, because you read the opening words of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, you expect to see this, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And you begin to think, well, this is cause and effect. If I'm meek, I'll get this. If I'm poor in spirit, I'll get this. If I'm persecuted for righteousness' sake, I'll get this. However, Jesus uses that word makarios, and it completely changes the way we understand the Beatitudes, and it's beautiful. Happy are people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they will be fed until they are full. Happy are people who show mercy because they will receive mercy. Happy are people who have pure hearts because they will see God. Happy are people who make peace because they will be called God's children. Happy are people whose lives are harassed because they're righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you, all because of me. Be full of joy and be glad because you have a great reward in heaven. In the same way, people harass the prophets who came before you. Now, for some of you, myself included, this doesn't really sit right, and it's okay. Reading blessing as happiness feels a little sacrilegious. But you know what? This is what God's Word says, and it makes sense. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus proclaims what the kingdom of heaven looks like. He establishes a new world order. He's the new Moses handing down the law of God. And he begins by saying, happy are the hopeless because the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. This passage right here is eschatological, meaning it has to do with future things. Happy are the children of God because they know that this, this stuff, all the stuff that's going on right now isn't all that there is. That there is a source of happiness that you can't find in anything or anyone other than Jesus. Kind of like Greg said last week, voices come alongside you and tell you going to church will make you happy. Having great Christian friends, that'll make you happy. Being financially secure will make you happy. And we have a God that does want us to be happy because happiness comes when we're right, right with him and knowing that he will make all things right, all things new in the future. Check out this final passage in the New Testament, James chapter 1, verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. 
Now on the surface, it sounds like James is saying, practice the good stuff and God's going to do good stuff for you. It promotes that legalism that we fight so hard against here at Covenant. But here's how it should be read. But there are those who study the perfect law, the law of freedom, and continue to do it. They don't listen and then forget, but they put it into practice in their lives. They will be happy in whatever they do. It kind of changes the meaning, doesn't it? Instead of saying, I need to do this because when I do, God will bless me. It really reads, if you put your faith into practice, you're going to be happy. That sounds more accurate, doesn't it? So I I hope I've made the case that God wants us to be truly happy because true happiness comes from knowing him, trusting him, and following him. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this series. But I want to address a few things just as we begin to ponder this idea of biblical happiness. First, as a Christian, you have a lot to be happy about, even when times are tough. When you come to know Jesus, your whole entire world is flipped upside down. You find yourself with a whole new set of thoughts and feelings, and it's usually good. When I got saved, all I wanted to do was go to Africa and help the poor and tell them about Jesus. I didn't have a care in the world because I was so happy about coming to know Jesus. You know why? Because, hey, I don't have to spend my life in fear. I know that when I die, I'll be with Jesus in paradise. So death's lost its sting. But I also know that I don't have to do bad stuff. And in fact, when I do bad stuff, I'm forgiven for that. And I also know that God has some sort of great plan for my life that I'm just beginning to explore. I have purpose. I have meaning. I'm loved by the God of the universe so much so that he took on human form and died the death that I deserve. That's good news. That's great news. That's the gospel right there. And I'm thrilled. But this doesn't do anything to change the fact that bad stuff does happen. Everyone goes through suffering. It's just a fact of life. But as a Christian, you have this hope that anchors your soul. And that's the hope that God will make something beautiful out of all the brokenness that you see. It's the hope that whatever you're you're going through has a purpose. It's a hope that death does not have the final word. He will wipe every single tear from our eye and he will show us this plan that he's been working out through all of eternity. That's what gives the Christian hope. That's what gives the Christian happiness. You might say, well, I don't feel happy. In fact, I feel pretty miserable. You look at the Psalms. They clearly demonstrate that it's okay to not feel happy all the time. I mean, David whined all the time. But there's always that hope. And the more you think about what God has done for you, what he is doing for you, and what he will do in you, the more your misery will turn to joy and happiness. Because you know in your heart that Jesus has already claimed that victory over death and all its minions. Listen to the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. It says, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. 
Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. And what's awesome is that God has given us the tools for happiness, prayer and worship and the Bible and community. All these things, empowered by God's Holy Spirit, make us happy. When we pray to God, our levels of peace and calm go up as talking to God and laying all of our burdens down at His feet makes us happy. And when we worship God, we get the focus off of ourselves and onto Him where it always belongs. And when we read Scripture, we're given pretty clear instruction and encouragement on how to live a life that pleases God. And when we surround ourselves with folks who sharpen us and challenge us and encourage us and love us, our levels of happiness in God go up. When we say that happiness comes from knowing God and trusting Him, it's very tangible. It's not abstract by any means. There are things that we do that help us discover and rediscover how happy the Lord makes us. And as we go through this series... We're going to be talking about these things. So God wants you to be happy because true happiness comes from knowing him and obeying him. And let me ask you this. Do you know him? And do you know the the happiness that comes from knowing him and following him? Because if you don't, you don't know what true happiness is. Maybe you're looking for all your happiness in the form of money or sex or food or people. None of those things will satisfy you because you were created to know God and to find your ultimate happiness and fulfillment in Him. And C.S. Lewis wrote this, and I think he's absolutely right. It says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. You, all of us, were created to be happy in God because as John Piper says, we all know it. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. And maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you're far too easily pleased. Maybe you need to talk to someone here about what it means to know Jesus Christ in a personal way. And when we take communion, this thing we do every single week, we're expressing our heartfelt love for God and all that he's done for us. And if you know Jesus, I would invite you during our worship time to come forward, take communion with us. Take a piece of bread which symbolizes the broken body of our Lord. Dip it in the the cup which symbolizes the shed blood of him as well. And as the worship team comes forward, I want to leave you with this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who died 76 years ago yesterday, a martyr for the cause of Christ at the hands of Adolf Hitler, happy and filled with joy until the very end. He says, full of joy, we are enabled to believe that there was and is one to whom no human suffering or sin is foreign and who in deepest love accomplished our redemption. Only in such joy in Christ the Redeemer shall we be preserved from hardening ourselves where human suffering encounters us. 
God wants us to be happy because he is the only one that can bring us true happiness. Will you stand with me as we pray? And, and if you need prayer, if you want to pray with somebody, I'd invite you to go to the back. There will be a few of us there at the back who would love to pray with you. The point is this, that God has made a way for us to be happy, and that's through Jesus Christ. Through his death and his resurrection, he's made it possible for us to be completely happy and fulfilled in this life because our hearts are restless until they rest in him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much that you make us happy. I thank you that you've given us the resources to make us happy, the body and blood of your son, Jesus, that we can have a personal relationship with you through Christ, that this world isn't all that there is. There's so much more, Lord. I pray that you'll help those of us who are still playing with mud pies to discover true joy and true fulfillment in you because nothing else will make us happy. I thank you so much for Christ and all that you've done through him. I pray that you'll help us to be happy in you and you alone. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.